0: Love Do you Do you see Do you see
1: the Welcome to the Mother Loving Future Show, hosted by Amber Strange and Jenna Penrose. Two mothers and detectives dedicated to fully embodying a new paradigm of conscious parenting, deeper
0: relationships. Healing ourselves into radiant health and epic answers to age old enigmas. Get ready to get your mind blown. Because this week's episode starts in three,
1: two, one. Welcome to the Mother Loving Future Show, everybody. It's Amber and Jenna here. And today we are honored to have the very intelligent and fascinating hand analysis legend, Richard Unger here with us. Thank you for sharing your incredible wisdom today with us, Richard. I'm fascinated with this topic.
2: Thanks for your generous introduction.
1: Oh my gosh, we're just getting started. Jenna has a little bio of yours to share with our audience. So Jenna, do you want to tell everyone a little bit more about Richard the Wizard?
0: Absolutely. It's fascinating. So Richard Unger has read over 50,000 pairs of hands and is one of the foremost authorities on hand analysis in the world today. Hand analysis, as developed by Richard Unger, uses traditional hand analysis methods, as well as focuses on the practical formula of how to live your deepest potential as revealed in the map of your fingerprints. In 1985, Richard founded the International Institute of Hand Analysis in Marin, California, and currently serves as its director. Hand analysis intensive classes are held worldwide, and the long, the year-long and graduate training programs are ongoing in California. Richard also teaches a course on the business side of metaphysics. Um, he... Also produces lots of written material, including the Hand Analysis Journal, the Graduate Review, the Hand Analysis Newsletter. And Richard is a contributed to, contributor to each of those publications. Um, he has also created and marketed a computer program called Life Prints, which is designed to read life purpose from dermatoglyphic, which is fingerprint markings. Um, <laughs> Not Richard, bad. <laughs> uh, is that the right pronunciation? <laughs>
2: Dermatoglyphics.
0: <laughs> oh, oh wait!
2: Hieroglyphics. T-
0: okay, t- okay. T- okay, cool. Yes, that way. Um, Richard began teaching hand analysis uh, at SUNY Binghampton, New York, in 1969, and taught at the Esoteric Philosophy Center in Houston, Texas from 1975 to 1983, and he has presented his modern approach to this ancient art across the U.S., Canada, and in Europe in lectures, workshops, and on radio and television. Wow. Thank you so much for, for sharing a bit of your wisdom here with us today, Richard.
2: Wow, I listened to that. I was a busy fellow all those years. Okay.
0: Yeah, you got a lot done, but it seems like you were quite focused on the hand and everything Uh, that the hands have to tell us.
2: I've been a hand fanatic. Um, This July represents 50 years since I picked up my first palmistry book um, in um, Boulder, Colorado, July of 1969. And I started teaching hands at the State University of New York at Binghamton, just a few months after that. So I've been doing this 50 years now.
1: Wow, that is quite a achievement. Are you gonna do anything to celebrate?
2: Uh, yes, <laughs> we've already celebrated the, uh, I used July 15th, I don't know which day it was, that I picked up my first palmistry book. Uh, I can tell you though, uh, that I was completely hooked on hands within the first few days, of uh, reading the book and meeting people and talking to them about what I found in their hands and actually I wasn't talking to them so much as having conversations together about uh, what life means to them, uh, what they could imagine uh, happening in their life, where they were now, how they got there, uh, etc. The type of conversations I was having with people um, uh, I loved, the depth of those conversations and the hand was the doorway in.
0: Mm-hmm. I got
2: right away. And it's only in retrospect, uh, can I see that I had, you know, slipped on a banana peel through the looking glass right into my life purpose path without mm-hmm. realizing I had stepped uh, through a portal I had. And a whole part of me emerged when I read hands, uh, a part of me that well, I like that part of me. And the more I read hands, the more uh, that me stepped forward. And the more that me stepped forward, the more my life started to look like that me had built it. Anyway, so I've been uh, celebrating with some uh, friends and family the, the month of July uh uh, we've gone out to eat and we've uh, celebrated 50 years in the world of hands.
1: Wow, fantastic. And I, I just have to ask the deeper you got into reading palms, did it become clearer that that was your destiny? Obviously, right? Like, was that a fascinating journey to discover you're meant to be reading palms? <laughs> no,
2: in retrospect, in retrospect, got it. No, I was, a, I was a college student. I was busy cutting classes every day, <laughs> hands instead. And little did I realize I was preparing for a future career. No. If I knew that, who knows what decisions I would have made. No. So I had a a couple of palmistry books by then. Uh, I got back to New York State after that uh, fantastic uh, trip across North America was completed. And uh, I got out a few palmistry books. And I'd be in a snack bar. And I would uh, look at a few uh, people's hands, people would sit down at the table. It, it was a large round table that had people visiting between classes or hanging out for, you know, an hour or two in the afternoon. Um, and somebody would sit down I'd have my palmistry books there. We would look at their hands. Um, uh, we would try to compare the diagrams in the books to what we found in our hands. And we'd look at each other's thumbs at the table. Uh, we'd laugh about the differences. Uh, I'd wind up going to somebody's dorm room for three hours, and then everybody, you know, in that area, of the dorm would come in. And I'd look at hands and talk to them. Um, I was doing this for fun. Uh, again, the type of conversations I was having um, were life-altering. Mm. I didn't know much, but I could tell. And uh, it didn't take long for me to realize that the hands were extremely accurate, and that they were telling a story uh, about the owner. I couldn't interpret most of the story. It's like going to a, uh, a foreign country where they speak a language you're unfamiliar with, but at least some of the words are familiar, you know, taxi, hotel, <laughs> et um, uh, They're They're obviously speaking to each other. There's billboards, in this foreign language and there's somebody smiling with some yogurt or something. So you can tell that those words have meaning. Uh, I could make out a percent or two of what the hands were saying, but that didn't matter. I was having fun. The people I was reading for, they were having fun. And inch by inch, I started to decode a little bit more, a little bit more of what was happening. A little bit like uh, working a jigsaw puzzle You know, you start at the corners and you make a little progress and then you think you're getting somewhere and you realize you're not. Uh, Back three squares, move forward again. Um, And so inch by inch, uh, I made uh, inroads uh, into this world. And at some point, um, it's only looking backwards that it was a clear path. Uh, At the time, it was very zigzaggy. At some point, I had crossed a certain threshold, and there was no turning back for me. But I didn't realize it at the time that the clearest demarcation point for me came 10 years later when uh, I had a family of five uh, to support and I quit my day job where I was making a good living. I quit my day job to do this full-time. That was 1979, you know, 10 years after I started on the palmistry trail and that's a demarcation point but looking backwards i had crossed uh that rubicon years before i just didn't know it uh Mm. back then you know i thought it was a sidelight it was interesting it was delightful it's where i uh where i was most alive but you know i had a family to support this this is palmistry blah, blah 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 but uh you know i'm looking backwards uh in 2019 right now
1: Wow. Well, clearly it was the right call to make. Mm-hmm. It's,
0: it's incredible. It's almost as if like if you had known that this was your path, it, it probably couldn't have happened because how crazy would have your friends and family thought you were if you were going to yeah. be a palm, a palm reader? Do you know what I mean? Especially at that time. And Although I can say back I back would have been friends with you back then. then. That sounds then really cool.
2: what you mean and I've had this discussion many times. That's right. If I knew this was where I was going, I'm sure I would have missed it to the left or to the right. Wow. Zigzag accidental work better. By the way, uh, that's not just me. Uh, A large number of people who do climb into their life purpose in wondrous ways, uh, who find their life of deepest meaning, uh, do so seemingly by accident. I say seemingly, because when you step back far enough, the little pieces of the mosaic up close, they don't make sense, but from far away, the picture is clear. So the zigzag path is often the straightest line to a person's life purpose.
1: Oh, I love that. It's so brilliant. I love your story, Richard, your romantic story with palmistry. It's such a beautiful um, snippet of hope for everyone that they're where they're meant to be and that to just trust in that process. And it's really important to have that um, stepping back and looking at where you've come from and where you're going and that. To trust in the the current path that you're walking as well. Well, um, let me
2: let me let me point something out, Amber. Please. Um, the um, uh, your life purpose, you know, your path of greatest meaning and soul fulfillment, is with you all the time. It's not an arrangement outside of you. It's not like you finally get it together and then you live your life of meaning. No, it emanates from the inside out. And if I were following a person uh, 24 hours a day, if I was sitting on their shoulder, um, that would be inconvenient for both of us. But, you know, in in this little mental imagery, if I was sitting on their shoulder and I had a little bell that I rang every time their life purpose was waving at them all over the place, I'd be hitting that bell multiple times every day. Once a person awakens to their life purpose possibility, it's... Holy cow! It's been here all along. It's been following me everywhere. I can't. What? You know, I was walking right past it. I was looking for my life purpose, and it was yelling at me, screaming at me, uh, playing the symbols and waving its arms at me. But I was looking over here at, at, as if all that other stuff uh, was a distraction. And and there it is. So uh, what I do in a reading more than anything else is I awaken my readie to the possibility of uh, uh, answering uh, the door uh, as it's knocking, to to take notice of that which from the outside would be obvious, but from the inside is anything but obvious uh, to the person involved. And uh, those who have been living their life of meaning for a long time have similar stories to my own, or at least usually where their life purpose tapped them on the shoulder, and it found them. Their destiny found them. The destiny that they thought they might be searching for didn't turn out to be their destiny. Uh, Their destiny found them. Let me also point out that there are people who knew from the age of five that they were gonna perform in front of large audiences, and that's what they've done. There are people like that as well, but they are a distinct minority.
1: Beyonce being one of them, I'm sure.
2: Mm Tom um, Jones, who's uh, from a, a singer from a different era than, than, your, than your eras, uh, Jenna and Amber, um, he, he wrote in his autobiography that at the age of five, he knew what he wanted to do with his life. He wanted to sing in front of a gazillion people, and he spent his whole life doing exactly that. There are people who know it from the get-go, which is absolutely amazing. How do they know it? And Robert Goddard. Uh, do you know who I'm talking about? Goddard. You might not know unless you're a, a science fanatic. I, I love uh, reading about uh, uh, most of the books I read are science books now. Uh, that's that's interesting for me to discover about me. But nonetheless, he's the father of modern rocketry. His work in the 1920s and 30s laid the foundation uh, for for you know for all of the uh, Apollo missions, etc. So. Uh, When he was nine on his birthday, he sat in a tree uh, in his front yard, looked up at the moon and said, I'm going to build a machine to take people there. And um, every year uh, as an adult, every year on his birthday, he went back to that tree and sat in it to remind himself of the vision that that gave uh, structure and meaning to the rest of his life. He died before uh, the moon landing of 69. But nonetheless, uh, he he lived long enough to see that his work uh, was the basis for future spacecraft. Um, And so how did he know that at the age of nine? He did somehow. But most people do not. Most people do not have a tree that they sit in on their birthday in their front yard and remind themselves of the vision they had when they were nine years old, and uh, for those people, it's it's fortunate that their life purpose is printed on their fingerprints, and somebody could somebody who knows that language can interpret it and translate and read it for them. Uh, that's literally mind-shattering. Uh, uh, that's incredible. That that is true, but but somehow that is.
1: Wow. And you are the guy to do that. Thank goodness for Richard. (laughs) Oh my God. Well, do you personally think that there's any type of formula to knowing like the guy that sat in the tree and he just knew, do you think there was any other element in his life that helped him just know? Do you think maybe past lives play a role? Do you think nature nurture? Do you think the parents are there helping him figure out what he's drawn to? Do you think there's any other element which helps people earlier on realize what their life purpose is? Soul
0: missions, soul contracts.
2: All of the above. Uh, There's also... Um, accident uh, random is also uh, part of the universe uh, but by the same token um, I think the, the key uh, element in all of that regardless of how the person gets there, uh, the door is knocking the doorbell rings but the, uh, the nine year old who climbed that tree um, um, he had to answer the doorbell he had to believe what was going on in his his heart, his mind, and all his parts. However, you want to uh, phrase that, he had to believe in that. He had to answer the call. And uh, very often, when I talk to people about their life purpose, they tell me they thought that years ago. They thought of that when they were a kid, but they dismissed it. You know, they had a family of five to support. Uh, blah blah blah. Life intruded, and. Uh, Life has a way of doing that, and uh, life is not to be ignored. If you have a family of five to support, um, should you uh, just ignore uh, these responsibilities that you hold dear? Certainly not. There are practicalities to consider. But in the long run, uh, you also have a life purpose. You have an exalted destiny possibility. Your soul has arrived here with a... I'll I'll use the word goal, but goal is not an accurate word in soul psychology. But Uh, you arrived here with some soul goals and agenda from the soul level, and uh, that's that ultimately takes precedence over the day to day affairs of life.
0: And usually that will be the thing that lights you up. Kind of like Richard was saying, like his soul destiny, even before he knew that was going to be his purpose. Like that was the thing that he had fun, had passion for that lit him up, that made him happy, you know? So usually it might be those things in our lives, which, which do have that spark for us.
2: Well, let me raise a warning flag though, Jenna. Uh, when people, I do workshops, uh, Uh, you know, half day, whole day, weekends, et cetera. And I ask people what they think their life purpose is. And one of the things that they share uh, is, well, your life purpose needs to be your passion, your passion, your purpose, your purpose, your passion. They both start with P. They, you know, they must uh, uh, be linked up. Uh, That's not necessarily the case, not necessarily the case. So for uh, what I answer them, my, my glib answer is my passion is basketball, and that has nothing to do with my purpose. So there are plenty of people for whom their life purpose is counterintuitive and not what they would be passionate for at all. So I've been using certain examples in, the, in my public speaking for decades now. Um, Candy Lightner, uh, the founder of Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Uh, do, you, do you know the woman I am referring to? Uh, she's... Uh, Not as forward in people's minds as she was when I started using her uh, as an example. Um, She had a teenage daughter who was killed by a drunk driver. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Within a couple of years, she was advocating for changes to the laws about drunk driver. It was treated in that era. It was treated as just boys being boys. So what if you kill a few (coughs) children or something? It's only... You know, you know, you you can't punish these guys for having a few drinks, and what? My, my daughter is dead, and you're excusing the guy who's been arrested over and over for drunk driving, but you shouldn't do anything about it. My word. So, uh, she was pivotal. She's probably the central figure in changing the laws in the United States and the world about drunk driving and taking it serious. She found her meaning. She spent decades. Being a woman with a message, a a public spokesperson, she did not seek that out. I'm sure if you ask her, assuming she's still alive, I'm sure if you ask her, she would give up all those decades of meaningful activity to have her daughter back. But that is not the way life went. She was not a public-oriented figure. She was not a dynamic uh, look-at-me type at all. She was drag-kicking-and-screaming to her exalted destiny. And there are a whole series of life purposes. Um, leadership-oriented life purposes uh, are like that, as an example. 80% or so of those who are in leadership-oriented life purposes do almost everything to avoid leadership. They don't want to be a leader. They don't like leaders. They're all corrupt. They're not doing the right things. I hate them all. Well, yeah, that's an, another good reason that you should be in charge, not them. So. Uh, they, they don't want it, they don't look for it, and yet their destiny finds them. And then, bit by bit, they grow into their destiny. As a matter of fact, there was a, a, a more recent example. Um, the uh, first responders to 9-11 who were not getting the health benefits that they needed and have been dying off because of um, you know, ingesting all the fumes from cleaning up the 9-11 crash site, Mm. Um, there is a, uh, no longer working as a fireman, fireman person who became the head spokesman for that group. And he was lobbying uh, Congress for these last almost 20 years now, uh, for proper benefits for these people. And he has found his true calling. He still looks like a fireman. He looks like if you were in Hollywood and you were looking to cast somebody as a fireman, you'd pick him. Um, He he sounds like a fireman, looks like a fireman, he just needs a red hat, and boom, he's a fireman. And yet he found his deepest meaning in life, being a spokesperson for a cause, something he never would have thought of or looked towards. So there are some people for whom, my point I took a long way around, but my point is that life purpose is not always uh, what a person would seek out. It's not necessarily where they think their passion would lie. Uh, Very often life purpose taps a person on the shoulder, and it infiltrates their life seemingly against their will. And then there are others who are more like me who stumble into it and, you know, I was excited from the get-go.
1: That's a really good point. Sometimes it finds you against your will and sometimes you find it. That's yeah. a beautiful thing to keep your eyes open to. Um, I think Jenna should share the definition for today's topic, just so the audience is super clear on all the things that we're discussing and what we're going to get into. And then, Richard, I would love for you to contribute to that definition if you feel called to.
0: Okay, so this is my definition, although, Richard, you are far better qualified to define this topic, but I will give you my definition of your life purpose in the palm of your hands.
2: Okay, I'm going to write it down so I can keep track of you.
0: Okay. I don't know. I don't know if you're going to be able to write it down because there's a lot of words, but here we go. A timeless approach to the very old art of palm reading. A skilled reader like Richard can use the major and minor lines in the palm, the mounds in the palm, the shape of the hand, the fingers and the fingerprints to interpret and understand the underlying energies at play in the person being read. Through a careful and intuitive process, direction towards one's life purpose and life lessons can be revealed, along with many other personality traits and tendencies.
2: Oh, that's nice. Uh, Do you need a job? You know, I could use a uh, a PR person. uh, Yeah, sure,
0: I'm happy to. to.
2: To promote my works worldwide. Yeah, that's nicely spoken.
0: Thank you. Yeah.
1: And Richard, you had something so beautiful on your website that I really wanted to add to that definition. The dynamics of fingerprint formation clearly points to a deeper connection to something larger than our conscious self. Whether this larger reality is the DNA legacy of our ancestors or some other plane of multidimensional existence, the fingerprints are our personal map to these otherwise uncharted waters. I thought that that was so poetic and beautifully put, so I
0: just had to add that.
2: Oh, yeah, that's nice.
0: So, how does our fingerprints connect us to the greater picture, as is it sort well, of let said me in
2: that quote? start with the map analogy first, and then I'll answer uh, that question, which I, I love to talk about. So, uh, I'm flashing right now, I'm remembering a visit um, that I made to the Maritime Museum in Barcelona. And uh, what a lovely uh, city that is. And um, uh, there's a museum there that has. Um, uh, uh, well, famous boats from history, etc. And there was maps in there from the uh, 1450s, 1460s, maps of the world uh, before Columbus's voyage. And uh, the maps of the world were startlingly accurate considering the Western Europeans had... No idea of the existence of North and South America or, or you know Australia and stuff like that. They were ridiculously accurate and ridiculously inaccurate. They missed big things because they were guessing, and they got most of it right, uh, interestingly enough. And uh, so those maps still exist, and there they are on display. The fingerprint map is a map of our soul psychology, I think, because this is a territory that hasn't been mapped. It's been explored. But one of the reasons it's not taken seriously, if you look in a psychological uh, uh, textbook, they don't take soul, psycho- soul psychology. There is no such thing as soul psychology. The soul's need for expressing its purpose, the connection to past lives, possibly. Pe peh, You must live in California or something. They don't take <laughs> you seriously. Well, this, this is a territory that has had no map. And without a map, um, it's hard to... To understand the structure of the territory, the rules that govern the territory, how to learn from it. There's no map. Well, yes, there is a map, and the map is on our fingerprints. And so this is an early map. It is startlingly accurate, but I'm one of the first, well, I might be the first to suggest that I don't understand the map in its entirety. There's all sorts of details in the fingerprints I look at, and I go, hmm. I wonder what that is. Later researchers, please hurry up and figure out what that stuff is revealed, that is revealed in the fingerprints. Uh, I want to know what you can figure out too, because I figured out the basic territory here. And I figured out the fingerprint map. I didn't so much figure it out. Uh, I downloaded uh, the information It was in my mind in an instant while I was sitting in the medical libraries in Houston, Texas, gobbling up the trove of hand and fingerprint information that the doctors have accumulated since the beginning of the 20th century. So the Western world uh, awoke to the existence of fingerprints uh, about 125 years ago. Scotland Yard started using fingerprints in 1903. Uh, The Eastern world knew about fingerprints for centuries, but the Western world did not. And There aren't any hand readers, apparently, who've read the medical textbooks uh, about what the hand reveals. Nobody has taken the trouble to go to the medical libraries and read all that stuff. Uh, For one, they talk in a different language the doctors do. The mound of Jupiter, they can't say Jupiter and Saturn, they can't say Heartline. They have have different uh, language that they use, which took me a day to translate their language into the one I was using. But there was more information on hands, fingerprint development, et cetera, in the medical libraries than in all the palmistry books they had read to date. So mm-hmm. there's a half a dozen people on the planet, I'm one of them, who've read all 400 plus palmistry books that have been written uh, that, that are still extant. But none of those people have read all the medical literature, and none of the doctors who've done the medical research on hands have bothered to read a palmistry book. So it turns out I'm the first person to have both systems of knowledge uh you know to have read it anybody else doing the same reading would have come to the same conclusions i did i think Uh, what i learned uh, was that the fingerprints form a topographic map of the developing fetal hand so you're about this big what's going to be your hand is about that big if you can't see how big that is it's tiny
1: it's very cute it's tiny
2: and the the hand uh, at that point, what is the proto hand looks like eleven ping pong balls squeezed tight together. Eventually, they'll differentiate into a thumb, fingers, and the sections of the palm. And when the fingerprint lines appear at the fourteenth to sixteenth week after conception, they they uh, cohere into it's like a net landing on the hand, and it coheres to the topography, and it forms a permanent within a couple of weeks the fingerprint map is permanent a permanent map of the size and shape of the developing fetal hands different sections are you following me here
1: yes fascinating today
2: I get to see the size and shape what have, what eventually became your thumb from five months before you were born what eventually became your Jupiter finger from five months before you were born so I liken that to looking at the side of a cereal box and seeing each of the ingredients, how much and which type went into the original mix. So this is half of what I uh, learned in the medical uh, textbooks now. So the comparative size and shape of different parts of the hand, every hand reader knows that a part of the hand that is big in proportion to your hand means you have a lot of that element in you. If you have a tall index finger, you're very index finger oriented. Its palmistry name is Jupiter. The Greek equivalent is Zeus. People with a long Zeus finger are very Zeus-like. They like to tell other people what to do because they are a Zeus. They sit in the big chair. You don't so shut up. They are Zeus types, whether they own their Zeusness or not. How they use their Zeusness more like Oprah Winfrey. Or more like uh, a current. Uh, uh,
0: President.
2: Uh, person. Yeah, 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 I was trying to.
0: to <laughs> more subtle.
2: Yeah, how, how they use that zeus Zeusitude is a separate factor, but how much went in and which type of Zeusness they come in different styles. Uh, I could see that by looking at your fingerprints. But that's not what changed my life. That was fascinating. Wow. I realized I was onto something big here in the medical libraries. Now, now that I knew how to read medical ease, I could read what the, by the way, there were over 6,000 articles in medical and genetic journals, many of them AMA journals about fingerprints and what they reveal about personality, behavior, different uh, disease possibilities, etc. 6,000 articles in English and thousands of others in languages that haven't been translated yet. Wow! Arabic, German, uh, schizophrenia, and fingerprints, or t- autism, and fingerprints, et cetera, et cetera. I'm sitting wow. on a treasure trove. I'm like a kid in a candy store. Holy cow! Didn't anybody know this stuff was here? No, nobody in palmistry world knew that that stuff was sitting there. Apparently, nonetheless, right.
0: different kind of mind that would read a medical journal. I feel like, and that would be drawn to palmistry. It sort of shows that your mind was able to sort of cope with both of those languages of understanding.
2: Yeah, a foot in each canoe. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Helpful. You... So and here's the part that blew me away. So uh, this is uh, Cummins, Dr. Cummins from the 1920s. He's considered the father of dermatoglyphics, dermatoskin glyphics carvings. He gave it that name. So he's the big name original researcher guy. And he goes on to say that the same patterns that make up fingerprints, each fingerprint has between 50 And a hundred lines, and the patterns of that line correspond to patterns in nature that we are familiar with. At the beach, when the water recedes, there's ripples in the sand. The ripples in the sand are not just parallel straight lines, those ripples will have wiggles to them, they'll split, they'll fork, they'll form little bubble formations as the line. Continues. sand dune ridges look the same sand dunes are never smooth they have little rippled surfaces and those rippled surfaces match the characteristics of fingerprint lines there's seven easily classifiable formations of those lines that match fingerprint formations the same seven things and there are other things in nature as well there was a picture in the medical textbook of a chemical suspension that's a beaker filled with water and some stuff in it, and the stuff is slowly settling to the bottom of the beaker, and electricity is introduced into the beaker. And according to the type of current used, a different pattern will reveal itself at the bottom of the beaker. Cummins points out that you can tell the type of electrical current by the imprint left behind. As I read that sentence, an electrical current went through my body. I was electrified. It was like waking up, into uh, a full wide open uh, sitting position out of a technicolor dream, what it, uh, I could feel that same that same uh, circuit being activated in me as I speak to you right now. A wave energy imprint leaves behind its signature in a denser medium. Mm. So it's like our body is the denser medium being imprinted by some high-frequency wave energy something or other five months prior to our birth.
0: Oh, my God. I just got chills.
2: Wow. I think of that as your, well, that's your soul imprinting. Mm -hmm. That's the moment at which your contract for this lifetime gets printed in ink, where your agreements, your contracts are now in ink. You have a life lesson. Uh, You have a life purpose. You have things to learn. uh, You have something that you came to do. Um, You can either do it or not. I mean, there is free will. Uh, Your fingerprints have no knowledge of how well you're doing. When you're 30 years old, if you've been living your life purpose uh, wonderfully, if you've been a miserable uh, wreck Your whole life, your fingerprints haven't altered, because everybody knows you can't change your fingerprints. There's an exalted destiny printed there. It's been there from prior to birth. Your life of meaning, your map to your life of meaning, is at your fingertips. But will you or will you not follow that path? Well, that's why we watch the movie. It remains to be seen. So one of my students was a Navajo, and she told me that the Navajos have a saying about fingerprints, and I love the poeticness of it. Uh, the Navajos say that the great spirit breathes in the breath of life, and the tracks of that breath become your fingerprints.
1: Ah, oh, beautiful.
0: Sort of the same concept, in a way, as like that soul imprint, just a different way to say it.
2: Yeah, uh, and more succinct and more poetic.
0: <laughs> Maybe. But you <laughs> but- Richard, do you think that it's
1: just a sole imprint in your fingerprints or do you think that genetic inheritance has a play and also what the mother's activities and thoughts and what happens while a baby is in utero can affect that imprint as well?
2: How prescient of you, Amber. So Hmm. according to the medical profession, uh, which asks for more money to study fingerprints almost every uh, a journal article concludes with, if we only have more money. If you give me uh, more money, I could study this in more detail. Um, nonetheless, uh, they conclude, as best as I can put together from a summary of all the articles, the, that which um, influences fingerprint development, uh, one-third is genetic. Uh, in other words, if your mother or father has an unusual fingerprint in an unusual location, there's a much greater chance that you'll have it, but nowhere near 100%. So it's one-third genetic, one-third intrauterine environment, which has been studied in incredible detail, Amber and Jenna. Uh, mothers who uh, smoke more than two cigarettes a day but don't drink coffee. Mothers who drink coffee but don't smoke cigarettes. Mothers whose pregnancy, uh, the relationship was going well according to the such-and-such Um, method of calculation. This has been studied in thousands of uh, reports, you know, uh, uh, number articles with numbers all over the place and graphs. Um, So one-third of fingerprint development is the effect of intrauterine environment uh, putting together all those scientific studies. And the other one third is the X factor. They don't know what it is. Give us more money. We'll figure it out.
1: Called the soul imprint. <laughs> They'll never figure that's it out. I, even if you I give them that. more money.
2: <laughs> that's how I feel about it. And, and, but from my perspective, and it's easy for me to say, you know, I'm not writing in the AMA journal. Um, uh, the parents that you choose, the intrauterine environment, I was just reading for somebody the other day, who came into a horrible intrauterine de- uh, environment? Mom and dad were at odds, and were going to be divorced, you know, very shortly after the birth, uh, you know, of the person who I'm reading in their 40s now. And yet, um, why is this soul picking that toxic uterus to enter? Uh, so, to me, that's a soul choice as well.
0: Mm-hmm. It is. It's part of the soul contract. All of those things, all of those factors, in a way. Yeah, I, I believe that. part.
2: And believing that way helps me. Uh, to interpret what I'm reading in hands. I didn't start out thinking that way. I just had to adjust my thinking and keep adjusting it until what I was seeing in people's hands made sense. So I read for all types of people. I read for people with all different religions. I spent a lot of time in Utah reading for Mormons. They have a very different uh, philosophic and religious view. And uh, they don't need to think like me to make use of what the fingerprint is saying. Interpret any way you you wish. Uh, Don't believe in any of this past life stuff and soul contracts, that's fine. Think of it as the genetic legacy of your ancestors. I am absolutely fine with that. Don't believe in any of that stuff. Don't even believe in DNA, fine. Um, It's just a a message on your fingerprints, a message of identity. Uh, See if you can put into practice what it says and see how life feels if you do. Don't believe anything. Just try it out. Do you feel better? Don't you feel better? So I don't really care uh, what my client thinks is the reality underneath it. And I don't even care the people who've learned how to interpret fingerprints by me. I don't care if they're born-again Christians, Mormons, Buddhists, or whatever. Uh, Use the information however you wish to improve people's lives and to help people bring a sense of deep meaning and fulfillment into their lives. And that's what fingerprints do.
0: How did you go about, um, after you downloaded this information, that the the fingerprint could be sort of like an imprint of that energy of your soul, how do you go about interpreting the the peaks and the valleys of the fingerprint? Or how did you come to understand the patterns that the fingerprint can show?
1: Well, the medical journals helped, right? I I
2: didn't come to understand, as it turns out. I knew it. In no time at all. I knew it in a nanosecond. Mm -hmm. And that electrical current response went through me as if I remembered Mm -hmm. the fingerprint system whole and intact. Mm -hmm. And then I tried it out the way I thought I knew it, and it worked the way I thought I knew it. Interesting. And in in the 40 years since that download, um, I haven't changed anything really. I have like adjusted a few things. Uh, I've tweaked a few things here and there um, ever so slightly. Uh, More than anything, any changes I've made are changes in communication style. I've learned better ways to talk to people about what I found in ways that are less likely to make them defensive listeners and um, uh, to feel uh, encouraged by the information they're receiving instead of downcast by it. That's been the main uh, shifting that I've done through the decades. But um, again, it's as if I remembered it whole and intact in an instant.
1: This is quite I've a common me. story, to be honest. I know, Jenna, that you had a, an experience where you had no idea how to play the piano and then all of a sudden <laughs> you didn't, You connect with your grandfather's spirit and then you were just playing the piano and it was as if you were remembering how to do it and I know you think that in a, a couple of past lives that that was a skill that you had developed. It's Must almost like been. that came was... came back online. Yeah, and, and hearing Richard's story, it's like perhaps the knowledge of how to read the, the fingerprints were imprinted during that soul download, as you say.
0: Totally. And I've, clearly Richard has had some kind of, in my opinion, some type of past life history with this because it just comes all just too naturally to him. To well, I like
2: it. it that way as well. And I have a variety of personal experiences that confirm that to my own satisfaction. But I, I respect the people who don't think that way and think that's just some, some pipe dream explanation from somebody who lives on the, uh, that West Coast near that ocean over there.
0: The best coast, right? West <laughs> Coast is the best coast.
2: So and, and I'm fi- at this point, at least, I'm fine with that. Up to, um, up to a point, I'm fine with that. Think what you will. I, I don't really care what people think. And as a matter of fact, um, the reality of... Uh, life purpose. Uh, you know, uh, 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 a scientist who thinks in a certain way could easily say that life has no meaning whatsoever, other than things that you make up for it. Um, that we're just a bunch of molecules inside some skin. Uh, it doesn't mean anything. People just invent meanings because that's what people do. They see meanings where there. He can think that, or she can think that as well. Think anything you want. Put what I tell you from your hands and fingerprints to the test. Does your life change in a way that you like it better, listening to what your hand map says? So forget about where it came from or how it means what it does. Maybe we're completely wrong. Maybe the people 100 years from now will be laughing at how silly those people were in the early 21st century. They thought X, they thought Y, they didn't understand Z the way we do. That's fine with me. Just use it, put it to the test, see how it works. The test of utility is the best test.
1: Mm-hmm. And what I love about your approach, Richard, is that in my understanding, the traditional sense of palm reading gave you an insight into one's destiny. Whereas from what I'm interpreting through your sharing is that it's more so a map of your potential and other elements rather than just destiny. It's if you choose to understand that and follow that, you can then create your destiny. It's not as if something is imprinted and is going to happen because often people look at the lifeline and say, oh, at 35, you're having a break in your lifeline and something is going to happen then. Um, is. It, please correct me if I'm wrong, but are you saying that there is potential for that to happen because your whole being is inclined to walk that path, but it's not yet set in stone as your destiny? There's free will. No.
2: So the lines in your hands keep changing, and your handshake changes as well through time. The fingerprints don't change, there's elements of both. There is written in stone, and there is fluid changing each nanosecond. But it's interesting that you bring up the uh, lifeline because if people have heard anything about palmistry at all, they've heard about the lifeline, you know, cross my palm with silver, meet a tall dark stranger, how long am I going to live, etc., like that. And um, I don't know any hand readers that read the markings in the lifeline as indicative of how long a person is going to live. The lifeline is an important line in the hand. But in my understanding, it does not tell about longevity. So breaks in the lifeline, I also don't interpret them as historic events, either in the past, present, or future. There are other palmists who use systems like that, and I've attempted to deploy those systems, uh, and I haven't found that to be accurate at all. Um, uh, A broken lifeline person has a break in their root chakra. I like to interpret the lifeline uh, to oversimplify as the condition of a person's root chakra, their sense of grounded in my bodiness, uh, the ability to withstand the bumps, the ups and downs of life. And when a lifeline has a break in it, it represents a discontinuity in the person's connectedness, uh, their sense of rootedness in their life. So... um, Uh, let's say that your parents died when you were young and you got uprooted and your sense of safety on the planet uh, was hazarded uh, during that period of time. And now you're a stronger person than ever before. That which you went through helped you to be more grounded. Okay, great. So you have a break in your lifeline. And does that mean that you're stronger for that discontinuity? Does it mean that you're triggerable over a slight sound like a soldier coming back with PTSD who now hears a sound and is all ready to grab a gun. I do not know from the, you know, from the existence of a marker on your lifeline. But what I can do is I can write things on my imaginary whiteboard in my palmistry strategy room. I know what the possibilities are. I've seen thousands of other people with similar lifelines at this point. I've heard their stories. I know the continuum of possibility here. And by looking at the context of the rest of your hand, by looking at the larger soul agenda for this lifetime, and by talking to you and learning more about your current circumstances, the two of us together can collaborate and understand what the hand map is saying. Not just for now, because the hand map is accurate now but 10 years from now you'll still have your hand map 20 years from now you'll still have your hand map and you can use that map to help you navigate whatever is going on then
1: mm, beautiful sorry richard i'm just hearing chopping or something banging yeah in the background. there's
2: chopping taking place <laughs> downstairs over there there's chopping
1: Got it. i can hear it
2: but you can't smell it i can smell what is being cooked but there's no door, uh, in, in our house. The house is all doorless. So
1: got it. Got it. Okay. So the chopping is just going to be there. (laughs) Um, um, wow, beautiful. And I do know that you have used the palm reading as a way to discover people's lost history in their lives. Have you got any stories for us where you have discovered something really frightening or fascinating or profound in regards to the No, I wouldn't
2: take it exactly that way. Um, Yes and no. Um, It's not like I see events in your hand. Uh, And sometimes I can, but mostly I don't. Uh, But we can piece together what must have been the case. And in retrospect, as you take a look at your current life, and you understand it through a different window, a different prism, a different point of view than before. Uh, and looking backwards, uh, the, the person can retrieve things that they looked right past from before. But a, a, better, a better understanding of that, of, that, of, of hidden dynamics, would, would be to understand uh, how your family history Affects you in ways that are absolutely invisible to the normal uh, observation. So, for instance, when, um, when I'm working in Europe, I, I, I did 29 years of uh, visiting Zurich for a couple of months a year and reading hands there. And one of the things I did there was uh, I read hands at a couple of different pediatric clinics where there were children who had a variety of symptomology ranging from the physical to the behavioral, um, uh, psychological, et cetera. And uh, I got called in when nobody could figure out what was happening uh, with child with this child over here. And the people who worked at the clinics were really good at what they did, and if they couldn't figure out what was going on, it wasn't for lack of uh, capabilities of figuring things out. Uh, and Uh, The parents were motivated. uh, The staff was motivated. I'd look at the kids' hands, but I'd look at the kids' hands in the context of the parents, the grandparents, uh, the siblings. I would have 8, 10, 12 set of handprints to look at, and the child's handprints as well. And usually what I found was that the reason nobody could figure out what was wrong with the child was that there was nothing wrong with the child. That's why they couldn't figure out what was wrong. And I remember one case in particular where the kid was super creative, super intelligent, five years old, and was a complete mess and was incapable of hanging out with other kids, going to school or anything. And yet the hand looked completely normal. It was only by looking at the entire family, parents, siblings, grandparents, etc that it was clear what was happening. The kid had a story that didn't fit the family story. There was nothing wrong with the child except that the family story had the child as totally wrong being the way he was. So the child was in no position to interpret this. He he already had his symptomology when he was months old. He was born into, from a, a simplified explanation, into the wrong story. There was no place for him to belong there. And all his symptomology was an expression of that. Once the parents understood that, they could make changes in the way they treated him. They didn't have to try to make him be a certain way or even think about him as wrong for the way he was. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a soapbox issue for me. Schools treat children the wrong way often. Not out of spite, but just be- they have a lot of children to Misunderstanding.
0: teach Misunderstanding.
2: And the kids are in the wrong story. They're being held to a standard that doesn't apply to them. It's easily seen in their hands. It's easily, you don't have to be a hand expert. It's easily seen in their hands. They need an environment like X, and they're being given an environment like Z. No Mm -hmm. wonder they're not adjusting well. Mm -hmm.
1: It's actually invaluable for parents to get their kids' palms read and understand their unique composition emotionally in the physical world, their soul contract, their physicality, all of that. I mean, I had Valentine's Hand read with you, Richard, quite recently. I just sent in a little ink because you're based in San Francisco. I'm in LA, so I sent you in a little ink um, print of his hands, and it was such an invaluable... Um, exercise to understand that the way he is in the world is the way he is. It's not just a phase or this or that or whatever my kind of linear mind is trying to interpret it. And it was such a relief for me to know where to um, encourage him and where to, where the places are to teach him and where to let him fall and to understand his unique life purpose and what direction that's heading in to help um, open those doors for him, it was really relieving as a mother to get that insight, just to make sure that I'm not trying to fit a circle into a square and that I allow him to be, I mean, one of the things you said was that it is written in his hand, in the map of his hand that he has this deep yearning to just express himself as who he truly is. And I know that that's a human trait, but for him, you said it was incredibly deeply ingrained and all over his hand. And for me to know that even though I'm not the type of mother that would try to mold him into someone I want him to be, it really, um, it really just showed me that my instinct and how I'm helping him develop was in service to his life purpose and Mm -hmm. to his soul.
2: So I don't remember, uh, I don't remember uh, his reading uh, specifically, uh, I, don't remember, I don't remember what I told you about your hands either, I read too many people's hands for me to keep track of them. But I, I can tell you that, the, and you said this yourself, um, the, uh, the pitfalls in life uh, are sometimes exactly on purpose for a person and you don't want to save them from these pitfalls because you would be actually hampering the unfoldment of their life purpose. Let's say that a person had one of the pioneer paths written I'm in. So, I'm paper. sorry,
1: Richard, that the banging's getting really loud. It's Richard, hard.
2: Can you stop the chopping for a while?
1: Or, or she can just go a little bit more gentle, but she can keep chopping. I don't want to stop her, but she can just go gent- gentle. She'll
2: do something else. We're, we're going to okay. be off, uh, okay. off for S- soon anyway. So, um So, I was saying, let's say a child has a pioneer purpose. And in the pioneer purpose, the owner's path takes them right into direct opposition. They're going to be taking a path in life, if things go well, that is opposite of what people think in general. They'll be doing something different. They're pioneers. They will receive negative feedback from people. For a person to be prepared for this during childhood, That person needs to be receiving negative feedback from people and being decimated by it, overcoming it, having the fullest range of uh, feedback experiences, positive feedback that either lures them away from what they want or helps them be who they really are, negative feedback that lures them away or makes them fight to be themselves. They need the fullest range of feedback variety coming their way, from standing ovations to uh, thrown tomatoes from the audience. So the parent does the child no favor if they shield them from this. They, the, from the soul's perspective, all of this is worthwhile. Can the person develop a positive relationship with themselves in the face of all different types of feedback? A parent can help a child with that. You can encourage uh, and applaud a positive inner dialogue in your child and and offer some perspective because you've been on the planet longer, you've also received applause and tomatoes in your life, and you can help your child process that. But to try to shield them from the essential experiences that they need for their life purpose to emerge in its fullest form, uh, parents in their eagerness to help often interfere with the child's best destiny.
1: Mm, I love that, and you refer to this as the life lesson opposed to the life purpose, correct?
2: Yeah, we have, we have stuff that we need to learn. From my perspective, we have wounds, uh, karmic wounds that we carry into this lifetime. We're not uh, necessarily aware of the source of those wounds. It doesn't necessarily make sense, but we have trigger points. Uh, they were already there before we were born. They're not caused by the events in your early childhood, or the, you know, Johnny who pulled your pigtails in kindergarten or something, uh, those are certainly there, and the psychiatrists will find them and help you deal with them, and that's all relevant. But if I could see the same thing in your fingerprints six years before Johnny pulled your pigtails, then Johnny's pigtail pulling was not the causative factor, it was more a symptom of something underlying that was there to begin with. And uncaused, if you will, in the normal use of that type of language, uncaused. People have trigger points that don't seem to have um, a logical causation. Uh, But from the fingerprint perspective, they make complete sense. And whether that's past life, sifting through in some way or, or whatever it is, it doesn't matter what it is. We react as if we have past lives like that. Mm. And treating it as if it's true yields positive outcomes.
1: Wow. I absolutely love that concept that your life lessons, which may be interpreted as something you have to avoid, are actually perfect and designed and orchestrated to get you further onto your life Um, purpose it's your life
2: purpose learning program
1: that's it it's brilliant it's such a fantastic lens to to look at life through otherwise we're just trying to avoid discomfort pain breakdowns all the time but we're really missing out on the good stuff
2: well you of course you avoid discomfort and as a mother do you want to like engender uh, discomfort for your child?
1: Well, I mean, to a degree, but I yep. really believe that that is where the growth is and that's pushing you towards your life purpose and in edi- inevitably a richer experience of life. So I think that it's a dance between exactly. what is danger and what is appropriate to protect them from and what is designed to, to grow them in such beautiful and profound ways. And yeah, it is a
2: dance and the way I would say it, is it's a dance between your soul psychology self and your personal psychology self. And of course, your personal psychology, you don't want to sit on the stove. Uh, It hurts uh, to sit on the stove. And you you want your life to go well. Uh, You don't want to drive your car into the bridge abutment. Um, You know, you have things to do. You have a a child to take care of, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, It's important to have your personal identity and to pay attention to things inside the ego envelope of our personal identity but at the same time it's important to recognize our soul identity as well and if the personal identity is the only one driving our car it's not going to drive us where we wish to go not at the deepest level anyway
1: oh, so profound i absolutely love that And I love how you were saying that the lines on your hands change throughout your life, but the fingerprints are the things that stay imprinted and that just are that deeper part of yourself. It's a very interesting way to look at life, that there's a certain part of your destiny that you're in, in control of, that you're weaving, but there's this soul essence within you that is driving the ship.
2: Right. And that goes back to where we were earlier, Jenna. We're talking about passion, because what if I had a passion for basketball, and then I had a passion for hang gliding, and then I had a passion for watercolors, who knows what else, uh, at different points? That's changeable. In our soul's wisdom, we've printed out a life purpose that is not alterable. How we live that purpose is alterable. I'm in a inspire the masses life purpose. Uh, That's uh, a a simplification of what my fingerprints say, inspire the masses. So, um, inspire the masses uh, pushes me, uh, lures me into teaching hand analysis. Later, it lures me into writing about hand analysis and talking in public about hand analysis. So, the expression of that life purpose can change, but the life purpose is there and has been there all along, and it was there in operation before I knew it was an operation. So I was having a dinner with some high school buddies the other day. These are people I've seen once in the last 60 years or something uh, at somebody's uh, birthday party years ago, and we're sitting around telling stories, talking about people we used to know and events that happened. You know, uh, high school reunion type of stuff. And uh, uh, I said something. And Bruce said, oh, yeah, Uh, you said something like that years ago. And I wrote it down. It's a placard on my desk. I've used it as a reminder, an inspirational reminder my whole life. I said, what? What are you talking about? And then some other guy at the table said, yeah, you said this back then, and that's been an inspirational guidepost for me my whole life. I said, what are you talking about? I was interested in girls, football, and basketball. Uh, I wasn't interested in any of this stuff back then, Uh, apparently uh unbeknownst to me, I was already operating as an inspirational communicator. And when people uh, go mining their history uh, with their eyes open, their life purpose was operational back in kindergarten, whether they realized it or not. Videotape replays would reveal that they were already doing their life purpose. They might not have noticed it.
1: Yes, because it doesn't have to be in the form of a career, an established job that you go to, you get dressed up and go to every day. It can be in a way of being with people, with yourself. That is such a great um, perspective to have when people are seeking their life purpose. They often think about the job they're meant to be doing and how they're going to get paid and what they're going to spend most of their time doing. But it really is a way of being which can be manifested into a, a job, hopefully.
2: <laughs> it also means that since life purpose is not a job or a set of circumstances, it's, it's an internal state that emerges and expresses its way uh, appropriate to the circumstance it finds itself in. What that means is your life purpose is available today, right now. Mm-hmm. You don't have to wait for your youngest to uh, leave the home and find their way in life. You don't have to wait Uh, to get this degree or get that. Your life purpose is available right now today. And let's say that you're retired. Uh, Does that mean that you put away your life purpose? Hell no. Uh, Time to get busy. Uh, Do do your life purpose as a senior citizen would, not as a teenager would, not as a kindergartner would, but as a senior citizen, with your life purpose is always available to you. It's not circumstantial. Life purpose is not circumstantial.
0: Absolutely
2: like love that. That hands have taught me. And people report in that I'd love to do what you're telling me, but I can't because of circumstances. And they give me a good rendition of why their circumstances preclude living their life purpose. But I'm listening from a different vantage point. And I'm reporting to them that your life purpose is not circumstantial. This is shocking news to the recipient of that information, very often at least. And it puts them on the spot because as long as life purpose was something that they were going to do someday, phew, they're off the hook. They don't have to hold it. They don't have to be responsible for it. Any um, life scale discomfort and lack of meaning, well, that's going to be fixed someday later. I don't have to deal with it today. Oh, yes, you do. And that puts a person on the spot. That's the good news and the bad news all wrapped up in one.
1: I love it. Go to Richard for a reality check, people. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much, Richard. I could just talk for hours and hours, but we're reaching the end of our session now, unfortunately. I would love for you to tell our audience a little bit about what you have founded, the Institute of Hand Analysis, and what you offer there.
2: Yeah, so uh, so thanks for asking. So the International Institute of Hand Analysis uh, was founded in 1985. So we just had our 34th birthday. That's a metaphysical organization that's 34 years old. I'm really proud of that. Metaphysical organizations kind of come and go, you know. Uh, so we've been around for a while. So uh, we train people uh, to read hands uh, and um, uh, we, we have classes now in multiple countries. We have a dozen people teaching the system that, that, that I developed, uh, that I've been talking to you about. Um, and if a person who is listening uh, has any interest at all in potentially being a student of hand analysis, um, write me an email. Uh, visit the institute website at handanalysis.net HandAnalysis.net. Uh, write me, ri- at Richard at LifePrints.com. L-i-f-e-p-r-i-n-t-s. That's the name of my book. Richard at LifePrints.com. Um, go to Amazon. Read a few pages from LifePrints. See if it pulls you. See if it talks to you. Um, if it does, contact me. Uh, I'm glad to talk to you on the phone. I'm glad to tell you more about what. Uh, what's available for you, depending upon where you live. Uh, We have distance classes and in-person classes, different parts of the world. Um, Maybe you've already looked at hands. Maybe you've read palmistry books uh, when you were a teenager or something. Maybe your grandmother, I hear stories like this, maybe your grandmother read hands and uh, you thought it was interesting, but that was years ago. You put it away because you had uh, things to do. If hands call to you in any way, Um, give me a call.
1: Brilliant. And we will add all of those links to the show notes. Thank you, Richard. And at the end of every single episode, we offer our audience an invitation just to see if they want to explore the subject a little bit more in their own life, put it to practice. So I invite our audience to really have a moment with your intuitive thoughts around your life purpose and around your life lesson and understand them both as this um, beautiful symphony that are both positive and leading you towards your, your soul destiny in a way. And Book a session with Richard. Trust me, you will not regret it. My whole family has had these readings done, and it has been truly profound and the most incredible technology and insight into what I, some things I already knew and some things I didn't know, but helped me shift my lens to just live a more open, trusting, and powerful life. So, book in, trust me. It'll be incredible. Thank you, Richard, so much for your time, so much for your Really fascinating,
0: really fascinating stuff.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much, Amber. Thank you for your kind words and good to meet you, Jenna.
0: Good to meet you too. Thank you. I might be calling you to analyze my hands one of these days.
1: And also for all the parents out there who want an extra level of guidance around how to navigate their little ones through life, this is just speaking from someone who's done it myself. This is truly invaluable in parenting. So thank you, Richard, once again, and for everyone who's listening. If you did enjoy today's episode, please leave us a five star review. Share this episode. Spread the love. Get in touch with us if you have. A topic you wish to request and we really hope you enjoyed today's interview as much as we did and we look forward to feeling you with us next week so have a great week
0: bye for now thank you thanks richard